We've been uh, <clears throat> doing a series through the Psalms, and as we've come to this celebration of 35 years of global outreach in the life of our church, uh, I wanted to stay in the Psalms, and I wanted to show from there, in the center and in the heart of the Old Testament, uh, what has been God's uh, eternal global purpose for His kingdom. We are in Psalm 67 this morning. It's a brief psalm. Hear then the Word of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that so that Your way may be known on the earth, that Your saving power may be known among all the nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all of the people praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you are judge of the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all of the ends of the earth fear him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning as your church, as the fruits of this blessing of Your Gospel going forth to the very ends of the earth and to the nations we gather as this people uh, seeking Your blessing that we might continue to be a blessing. That we might see You known among the nations for the glory of Your name. We ask, we pray. Amen. The theme of this song, song is God's missionary purpose for the world. It's a purpose that is clear. It's rooted in the deepest part of the Old Testament here in the center of the Psalms. But even here, the psalmist is reaching further back. He's reaching into the primordial purpose of God's for gathering the nations. Gathering the nations into a global kingdom. God created the world, and when it fell and there was a rebellion, His purpose was not small. His purpose was to bring all of the earth again under His dominion. And to create a people that spans the globe from every tribe, nation, and tongue. It was His purpose and His plan when He called Abraham. He wasn't doing something else and that that plan was some other plan. That was His plan. When He called Abraham and set him apart. This is what, chapter 12 of your first book of the Bible? So in like the first, I don't know, six or seven pages of your Bible, God calls Abraham and says, I will bless you. And through you I will bless all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. You know, that's my ultimate goal. I'm going to bless you, but that's an intermediate goal. The goal for which this blessing comes is greater than you. So he blesses Israel that through Israel all the nations would come to the same knowledge of God, the same fear of the Lord that Israel had. That Messiah would come in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That through Abraham and his seed, he would bless the nations, all of the peoples. When we look at this short psalm, the the structure is really kind of easy to see. For me, as I was reading it and spending time in it, you see that the first two verses are kind of parallel to the last two verses. It is a prayer for blessing. Blessing so that the nations would come to know your way and your salvation and would come to the fear of the Lord. And if you work in from the first two and the last two to three and five, the next verses in, they're identical. 
right? It's a chorus, right? In between these prayers for the blessing on God's people, this chorus is repeated. The chorus is for the nations to praise God. Let all the people, let the peoples, let all of the peoples. And so coming in from the outside for this blessing for the nations, you know, then three and five in this center include this praise of the nations, uh, including the nations, and it centers then around verse four, which is at the very center of the psalm, bookmarked by this chorus. Let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. But at the center is let the nations be glad. Some have said that this psalm is that the nations are looking on as God blesses Israel. And that all of this is about how everybody's watching what God is doing with Israel. But at the center of the psalm is that the nations are glad. That the nations celebrate. The end of the psalm is that all the peoples of the earth would come to Fear the Lord. Which I will suggest as we look at this is nothing less than that they would come to salvation. That this psalm is a prayer for the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to bless us so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through us. It's crucial for us to see that God's saving power comes to the nations through the blessing of God's people. Right? When you look at verse 1, you should, you should recognize it. Uh, it is a condensed version of what we call the Aaronic blessing, which just simply means the blessing given to Aaron. Aaron's blessing. God gave it to Aaron to pronounce over God's people. And, uh, and the psalmist takes it and takes one of the middle lines out of that blessing and he prays it into and for the life of Israel. He prays down God's blessing on God's people. The original version of it is a little bit longer. I, I pronounce it over you week by week. Numbers chapter 6, 22-27, it says, The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And the Lord make His face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and grant you His peace. And then it goes on, it says, So they shall put My name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so the psalmist takes this blessing, this ancient blessing out of deep in the Old Testament, and and here in the Psalms, he is praying it over the life of Israel that God would, he makes that prayer in verse 1, that God would be gracious to us and He would bless us. And notice he's taken this, this benediction that I it's usually said, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make His face shine upon you. It's, it's a blessing pronounced over. But here the psalmist takes it on his lips and he prays it very personally for God's people. God bless us. Right? Be gracious to us. Make your face shine on us. And he turns it into a personal prayer for the life of God's people. But you see that he connects it with with this blessing, with Abraham's blessing, this commitment of God to bless his people, that he promised to Abraham, I will bless you. Because in verse 2 it says, so that your way may be known on all the earth. So that your saving power will be known among all of the nations. Bless us to be a blessing. Bless us through the... So that through us, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
The ends of the earth will come to fear Your name. And this expectation is rooted in that promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Let all the peoples praise you. So he's praying these blessings of deep in the Old Testament into the life of His people with the same purpose that God would use Israel to bring blessing to the nations that they would come to know and to love Him even as they do. I would suggest that the blessing that God gives to Abraham and that God pronounces over His people through Aaron is nothing less than salvation. Salvation by grace through faith. It's in Genesis 12 that God blesses Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And it's a few chapters later in his relationship with God that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was saved by God's grace through faith. And I would suggest that that experience of God's grace that is at the core of His blessing, whatever, what other blessing of God matters if it does not include His gracious smile in accepting us. Saving us from His wrath. What other blessing do you want? Would you take if it meant that wasn't included? Right. So the, the blessing of God begins with salvation. And I think that's why Aaron's blessing has that power to it. As he prays this in verse 1, May God be gracious to us. Show us Your grace. And bless us and make Your face to shine upon us? Is that not a picture of God's salvation? Of what it means for Him to be gracious to us? What does it mean for a face to shine? When you say some, if somebody said, you know, he, you know, he almost glowed, you know, or said she, she glowed, you know, he, 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 he asked her to marry him and she, she was glowing, right? Or her face is what? It's smiling, right? It's full of joy. It's full of happiness. It's full of pleasure. It's full of you know, being pleased with something. And that's what it means for a face to shine, is to smile. It's the opposite of a, of a dark look or an angry countenance or, any, or something like that, right? To, that God would make His face to shine on us. It's to look down on us with His pleasure, with joy, with happiness, that, that He would accept us, forgive us, that He would be happy with us. He would smile and let us be under your grace and your peace and your smile, not under your anger and your wrath and your judgment. And so for God to smile on His people and to grant you His shalom is nothing less than to save you. It is His salvation that He pronounces over His people. Let us be under your grace. And so to connect these two again, I've put it there in Psalm 80 verse 3. It says, Restore us, O God. Let Your face shine on us that we may be saved. Right? You see that tight connection, right? Restore us. Let Your face shine on us that we may be saved. That for His face to shine on His people is to restore and to save them. does it again in Psalm 31. Make Your face shine on us. Make Your face shine on Your servant. Save me in Your steadfast love. 
for him to make his face shine on his servant is parallel to and equal to saving him in his steadfast love. So it is a, it is a salvation that he is praying down into the life of Israel. But we see that the psalmist is seeking this grace, this experience of God's blessing, his smile in the life of his people for a greater purpose. For something greater than our own blessing and experiencing of that. And this is something that is really important for us to ultimately catch. When he prays this prayer, he prays it in terms of the Abrahamic covenant. Bless us. So that, verse 2, Your way would be made known across all of the earth. So that Your saving power would be known among all of the nations. Bless us and fulfill Your covenant. Bless us and bless all of the families on the earth through that work in the life of Your people. So that the nations would know. You see it running through the whole psalm that this is His more than even Israel and this blessing on Israel. You see the nations running through. In verse 2, he says, so that it would be known on the earth that all nations would know. Verse 3, he said that the people would, that all the peoples would. In verse 4, he says the nations and the people and the nations of the earth. In verse 5, he says the people and all of the peoples. In verse 6, he says on the earth. In verse 7, he says all the ends of the earth. He has a global vision for what God will do through the saving of a people for Himself, a salvation that would go through them to the very ends of the earth. That they would know the saving power of God. Isn't that exactly what He does in Jesus? That's exactly what He does when the Messiah comes in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That the boundaries of the little nation where it was given seed form are broken. And the Gospel and the saving power of God go forth to the very ends of the earth so that all the nations might share in the gladness. Right? Come under the smile of God that Israel had experienced. It's important to understand that what the psalmist does... He does for something bigger than Himself. That as He prays this prayer, even of blessing on His own people, as He prays that God would work in the life of Israel, that He would work in the midst of God's people, that He would come near with His smile and His grace. That in His mind, in His vision, is something bigger. It's not just, it's not about us. We're a very small nation in the midst of very large nations. We're a very small nation on a very large earth. We are just a small number of people in a mass and a multitude that populate the earth through time and space. And he sees, even as he prays for God to do something here and now, he has a vision for the nations. There's a great danger for us to think it's all about us. For us to live our Christian lives focused on ourselves. Right, to think about you know, our learning and our growing and, and our sanctifying and our getting better and our doing well and our nation thriving this way or our nation that way. Our programs or our families or our finances or our assets or our whatever. We think of God's, what God is doing in terms of all of those things. 
And I'm not saying God is not intimately involved in the very, all of those details. But we need to understand whatever blessing there is, my friends, it is part of a much, much bigger picture of what God is doing and intends to do through His church. He blesses so that we may be a blessing. So that His Gospel is preached and His kingdom is advanced and His glory is known throughout the planet among every people, tribe, nation, and language. Sure, He's concerned to meet our needs. But there's so much more. We must not fail to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. From the opening pages of the Bible, He has made His global purposes known. Not only beginning with Abraham, but it's something that has come through. You read the prophets and the Psalms, and it comes through. I just pulled out a few. This is literally a theme in Scripture. But I've pulled some out, just the Old Testament, to give us that taste that this is what God is doing. You remember when we started the series on the Psalms, I preached 1 and 2, and I said Psalm 1 and 2 are the gateway into the Psalms. And in Psalm 1 is the importance of God's law and His Word and His ways. In Psalm 2, over next to His law, it was the introduction of the Messiah King and grace. Right? And in the midst of that powerful psalm, Psalm 2, where Jesus is introduced, the Messiah King is introduced, it says this, verse 8, Ask of Me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Not I will give you Israel as your inheritance. I will give you the nations as your inheritance. My plan has always been that Israel be one of the, all of the nations that know Me. One of all the nations that experience this grace in my smile through the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 2, you start looking at the prophets and what is their vision for God's work. Isaiah 2.2, which is a messianic passage, again, introducing Christ. And it says, it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established. And He will be raised above the hills and all of the nations will stream into it. This is the vision that God had from before the creation of the world when He elected a people in Christ. When He elected Christ to be their Savior. When He planned His purposes for the world would be that He would be lifted up and He would draw all men unto Himself. Jeremiah says at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh and the nations will be gathered to it. And of course, in Revelation 7, we've already sung it and listened to it. I looked and behold, there's a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, and every people standing before the Lord, crying in a loud voice and worshiping. Salvation belongs to our God. Verse 2 came true that His name was known on all the earth and the saving power became known among all the nations so that every tribe and nation and language and tongue stands there hand in hand with Israel worshiping the one Savior of us all. The purpose of God. It answers the question, If you're asking, as you look at your life and you look at our nation and you look at the world and you ask the question, what is God doing? Where is all this going? This peeling back of the curtain of heaven in Revelation tells us and answers that question, what is the Lord doing? He is gathering the nations. 
He is bringing people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. And when this world is gone, when it is, when it is passed away as the Scripture says that it will, and the skies are rolled back like a scroll and the elect are gathered, this is the picture. What remains is a people. A multi-ethnic, worldwide people for the praise of His glory and His grace. That's what He's doing. That's what He's always been doing. That is His plan. He has revealed it again and again in a thousand ways. A multi-ethnic throne. So let me apply this in a number of different ways. First of all, I say this is a rebuke to our racism. It is a rebuke to our racist, prejudiced, ethnocentric, whether it's American-centered or whatever other centered ethnicity, race, country, centrism that we have that interferes with this purpose of God. It is a rebuke to say God loves the nations, tribes, people, and tongues of the earth, and they are all going to be His children and stand linked arm in arm and worship together on that day. And what God has blessed, let no man put asunder. And God forgive us for the ways that we let, whether it's our politics and our, our fears and our, about our country and whatever else that begin to feed into these things that we become more passionate about, uh, our, uh, all those, whatever those things are, our, our ethnocentricity than we are passionate about being God's people for the nations. That they would know His name and His saving power. That is our mission. And so God has even opened doors and brought the nations to our doorstep. The nations are your neighbors. And our mission is to reach them with the Gospel. God, forgive us for our bigotry. God, release us from our racism that we might fulfill His grand purpose. You need to understand, my friends, we are the nations. When he says the nations will stream in, you know, that it will come, that's you and me. We're the nations that have streamed into Christ. We're the nations that were brought near, that stand here glad this morning. Verse 4, standing here glad, singing for joy, standing under the gracious smile of an acceptance of God for us in Christ. We are the nations. And it, our job, the job is not done. The nations are your neighbors. And the nations are across the border. And the nations are around the world. And our mission is very clear. Oh, so very clear. We need to never forget that like Abraham, we have been blessed to be a blessing. And even as we pray down this prayer, my friends, we pray this prayer. I pray. I don't use it all the time. I use the ironic benediction on you. I pray it over you. Again and again, I use other ones. But even as we pray those blessings, Lord, bless us and keep us and make Your face to shine on us. Even as we pray down God's blessing on ourselves, let it be with verse 2 always on the front of our minds so that You may be known in all the earth and Your saving power among the nations. It's not all about me. It's not all about us. It is about something so big. So huge. Piper says, God's aim in this creation is that He be known. 
That He be praised. That He be enjoyed. That He be reverenced among all the peoples of the earth. That is why the world exists. And that's why missions exist. And I would add to it, that's why the church exists. It is to bring Him honor and praise and and worship is at the core of who we are and what we do. But even that, it seems to be. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and makes you the church in every way, you know, and fills you out so that you will be My witnesses here and abroad to the very ends of the earth. In fulfillment of Psalm 67 and the promises in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other Psalms and the ironic blessing and the blessing to Abraham. God has a purpose. It's a heart, it's at the heart of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? Jesus calls us to himself and he says, Just as I was sent, so send I you. How am I sending you? To go make disciples of the nations. We must never think it's about us. We must never live our Christian lives focused just on ourselves. We have been blessed. You and I sit here this morning under the smiling face of God. That He has accepted us in the Beloved in Christ. And He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus in the heavenly places. He's given us a hope and a future and He has invaded our lives, filled us with His Spirit, begun a good work that He will carry on to the completion till the day that Christ returns. To understand, even as He does that, He says, go. Make disciples of all the nations. You will be My witnesses to the very ends of the earth. It's why we want to celebrate the spirit of missions as we've taken this Sunday, this month, we've been doing the videos and taking time to celebrate global outreach in the life of our church. I think it is a beautiful and powerful thing to remind us who we have been, where we have gone, what God has done so that we remember who we are and where it is we still need to go and still what the mission is that we would continue going forth. I want us to know that we are a missionary church. You know, the first week we surveyed all the places that we've supported missionaries around the world. I thought it was very cool to see, you know, on every, you know, on six continents around the world, we've supported missionaries through the years. Last week we took a video and said there was one particular missionary family that we picked up as they were leaving to the field and we have supported them through their entire missionary career and at the height of it, in the middle of it, how God used them to produce the New Testament in a language that had never had God's Word. What a beautiful and powerful thing for for us to be a part of. That we were senders. That we belong to that. And and this week, to take a survey of all the places that we've been around the world. That this church has sent teams. I was shocked. I hadn't seen it yet. I thought it was awesome to watch that list go down. How often, how far, how many have gone. And what God has done through this little church. We're little these days. There was a day this would have been a big church, but we're medium. I guess we'll go medium, right, compared to some that are out there. But what God has done through this body, it's a marvelous and gracious thing to be a part of. We're not boasting, we are remembering. It's like Israel when they're told, gather those stones and build a pile and say, Thus far has the Lord brought us. And when your children ask you about the pile of stones, tell them you know, that what God has done. 
and how God has worked in the life of His people. And so in a sense, we're building that pile of stones. The global outreach budget last year was 109000 and change. It's safe to say that in the last 20 years or so, we've given close to, in the neighborhood of a couple, $2 million to this little church, to global missions. In addition to the people we sent and the money that was raised and the work that was done. My first PCA church in Virginia, I was on the missions committee for seven years. When I came to this presbytery, I first spent the eight of the first ten years on the Mission to North America committee. I've been domestic missions trips. I've been to Fort Lauderdale, Florida on an evangelism trip to Cherokee, North Carolina. And for six years in a row, I led teams to the inner city of New York doing a variety of kinds of missions. Internationally, I've gone on mission trips to London, to Mexico, to El Salvador. And I spent about seven weeks in India sharing the Gospel with Muslims. Again, I tell you not to boast, but to build a pile of stones that you would know my heart. That when I call you to something, when I, when I preach a sermon and lay it out there and say, here's what God is calling you to and calling me to, that you know my heart and that I don't call you to something that I myself have not embraced. That I myself have not given a good portion of my life to. I want us to see ourselves in the bigger picture of what God is doing. To see ourselves as a mission church. To see how God has used us and to be full of a passion and a desire to see what God yet will do. As we send four teams this year, a team to Acapulco, a team to Chicago, a team at the junior high are going to Charlotte, and another team to Kenya. And to say how... Will God use us? I want us to see that we are part of a mission to the whole world. That we would send these teams. That we would own them. Every time a team goes out, that it would be our team. That we pray for them. We support them. We financially get behind them. And we, like you might with military and other kinds of law enforcement, thank them for their service. Because they go for us. They serve for us. They represent us in this endeavor. I want us to generously and sacrificially support the missions budget this year is the same as last year because it hasn't grown. And we haven't taken on new missionaries in a, in other than as they turn over and, and lose other ones. And our budget has stayed about 109000 I would love to see it grow. I would love for us to generously and sacrificially give over and above our tithes, not to divert our tithes, to support this work. Finally, I want you to seriously consider going. I want you to see, see yourselves as part of a bigger picture. I want you to generously and graciously support it. I want you to, to see yourselves as a mission church, an ascending church, and to support our teams. And I want you to seriously consider going. You know, there's a, the team for Acapulco is set. You can't go on that one, but the team for Chicago is open. Senior high youth. The team for Charlotte is open. Junior high youth. The team for Uganda is open for the rest of us. There will be trips in the future, if not this year. If not these trips, not this year. When will you go? I believe it is healthy for us to get out of our context and to see and experience what God is doing around the world. I'm telling you, my friends, your, your worldview, which sometimes we tend to be so provincial about our little world and what, what God is doing, to see how other people live and what we, I don't know, it sets us free from many 
strange ideas. We have been blessed to serve the purpose of God of making the nations glad with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that vision and that passion sinks in and owns your imagination about who we are, why we exist, and what we're doing. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are a global God, that You are not a village God, You are not a a God of any small piece of the earth, but You are a God of the whole world, that You have made us for Yourself, and You will not rest until Jesus has His inheritance, an inheritance of nations. Until that throng that will stand before Your throne on that last day would be gathered. And that we, Father, would have vision and passion to be a part of that. Thank You for what You have done in the life of our church. Thank You for using us and sending us and blessing us. Oh Father, will You bless us so that we might see Your saving power known among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.